Hello, and welcome to Turning Point, a new podcast series on leadership, development, and growth from Vistage, the executive coaching organization dedicated to improving the effectiveness and enhancing the lives of our members. I'm Matthew Griffiths, a Vistage chair, business coach, and mentor, having been a CEO for companies both in the UK and the US over the last 30 years. Time management is crucial in today's high-pressure and fast-paced world. Of all the things that top CEOs and leaders do well, managing their time is the most hailed productivity hack there is. How is it possible that those with the greatest demands on their time are so productive when so many are not? Over the next few minutes, we're going to be joined by Giles Watkins, business coach, a fellow Vistage chair, and author of your first book, Giles, Positive Sleep. Welcome, and why don't we start there? Why don't you tell us a little bit about how the book came about? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Yeah, I worked like yourself in business here and overseas, mostly in Asia Pacific over a 30-year period. I worked for companies like McKinsey and Shell. And in that time, I increasingly started to have major sleep problems and had an opportunity to do a master's at INSEAD, the business school, actually in Singapore, where I wrote a thesis all about my sleep issue as something I wished to change. And out of that came a book, uh, which I think I hope is very practical and is aimed at business leaders who probably like me have, have sleep challenges. Fantastic. And now I also know, not related to the sleep issue, although some might say it is, <laughs> we both have a passion for cricket. Very but, much so. Uh, we just asked the audience not to hold that against us right at the beginning. Marvellous that you've joined us today. Thanks for your time. Let's start with what we mean by time management. So if we look on the internet, there's a definition there that says that time management is the process of planning and exercising conscious control of time spent on specific activities, especially to increase effectiveness, efficiency, and productivity. So that's all very well, but in real life, is that actually what we're talking about here, Giles? What would you say your definition is? Yeah, I think that that covers it pretty well. I think the key word there for me is conscious, because... I often think of the, the world in those that we can, things that we can consciously control, those things we can influence, and those things that are out of our control. Yeah. And the more you can focus on what you can consciously control or possibly influence, even if it's not completely in your control, the better. And stop worrying, of course, about the stuff that every day for leaders comes out of the blue and sometimes buffets you off a little bit the course you're on. The sort of unknown unknowns. Exactly. Which is a popular yeah, yeah. cliche. Okay, now I, I do also know that when we talk about time management to various people, you get that knowing nod of the head from people go, yeah, that's all very well, but you don't understand. I'm trying to run a family. I'm in a situation where I'm trying to do these 15 things. You know, it, it's all very well talking about time management, but real life gets in the way. So from your point of view, you've had a very busy and well-traveled career, but I know there was a, a sort of turning point when you moved from sort of operational level to leadership levels. That's when it really kicked in. Can you explain a bit, bit more about That's that? That's right. Yeah. I worked in mostly sales or oil trading roles for the first more than a decade of my life. And the last three years of that period, I was actually in Vietnam running a business over there, one of the leadership team of a business over there as a sales director for Shell. It was a market entry in, in Vietnam. And that was an incredibly busy time. And in a sales director role, that was the title I had. The reality was I was, you know, chief salesman. I was the manager. I was the coach. I was doing an all 
all range of things because it was a startup in a country which now is much more developed but was then was pretty pretty undeveloped so i then came back to the uk moving more into a marketing management role starting to have more of a strategic leadership role if you like rather than very operational and i went from almost my priorities being set for me to some extent by the customer urgency or the particular challenge that we had at the time through to having more of an opportunity to actually set my own priorities. Right. In line, obviously, with the strategy and what the department wanted and so forth and what we were trying to do in a certain market. And that's where I had to really think about how do I prioritise and how do I manage my time? Because the opportunity was there that I had some control, but that in itself was a bit of a challenge. And I just want to touch back on to the family element of this, because no matter which role you play within a family setup, if the business opportunity is there, and you know we're talking about leaders, so principally they're ambitious people, yeah, and they're trying to get ahead. The the thing that suffers can be family, family life, family time, and the blend. I know we talk about work-life balance, but it's actually more these days of a blend of how yeah. work life and Absolutely. personal life. Can you just fill in a little bit around that? Was that were you very conscious of that going on at the time, or actually, in my case, at that point, I was actually single, and so in in many ways, I was conscious of it because I actually didn't want to be single for the rest of my life. So I needed to also carve out social life and a, yeah. other time as well. And having moved countries as well from a particular expatriate life where. Lots of things were done for me in terms of domestic staff and all sorts of things like that to more regular kind of existence. A number of those things did come into play. And I think I was quite fortunate, if you like, before I then got engaged and got married, that I was at a point where I'd started to think about and actually put into place some real time management views and practices that kind of happened at the time I was meeting my my future wife. So late 90s, you're you're moving into this leadership role. This is where time management becomes real for you in terms of an issue. So what happens? Do you recognise it as a problem or is it something that you suddenly think, do you know what, this isn't working for me, I'm going to have to proactively do something about this? Yeah, it was more the latter. And actually, I, at the same time, was working in an office in the UK with a number of quite senior people, one of whom was familiar with a business coach that he had. And at that particular point, I actually engaged with that business coach for a number of reasons, partly because I felt I was at a a transition point in my career, having moved from more sales and operation roles to more strategic work, and partly because things like this were troubling me. I I felt I wasn't as productive and efficient as I might be, and I, I felt that looking around some of my peers, they seemed to be addressing these issues better. And it was actually working with this particular coach is no longer with us, name is Peter Bolt. Peter had written a couple of books in this area and I started working with him to get sharper really around that. And so it was fairly basic stuff really that we discussed, but it just gave that perspective and that time to reflect. Uh, And as we both know, know, so often when you're in the busyness mode, it's difficult to stand back and actually start working on what you're doing rather than being in it all the time. And that's what I did with Peter. Before you move on, I'm very interested in the comment you made about you recognised in others that they were better at managing their time. And I think, you know, a lot of us, I certainly recognise this, where you look at other people and you think, why are they so much better at managing their time? 
Did that have a very negative effect on you or was it a frustration or was it a, I can do that, I just need to find a better formula for it? How did that sort of manifest itself? There certainly was some frustration. However, that drove me on. I didn't take it in a negative way. I thought, yes, that's something I can improve. Yeah. And it both in conjunction with talking with the coach, but also getting to know those colleagues a bit more, because obviously I'd moved into a new office from working in Vietnam, being back in London. I started to get a sense that they just had a better sense of purpose, a better sense of where they wanted to go with their career. And I had it probably implicitly, but not explicitly. And again, working with a coach started to get me really thinking about, okay, so where is this taking me? Where do I want to go with this? Yes, I enjoy the day-to-day, yet I know I can be more efficient and productive in the day-to-day and more conscious about that, getting back to that word conscious that we discussed at the beginning, as well as then thinking, so where does this lead me? Where do I want to take this? And that was a bit of a breakthrough to me. Okay, so now I'm I'm assuming that that doesn't immediately go to, right, I know what I need. I need to do loads of to-do lists. So every time I have this conversation with anybody, they will immediately say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got lists of things that I do. So I I have got more to-do lists than I can care to remember. I can guarantee you now they've probably got about 100 things on each of them, and I haven't done any of them at all. So this is on a higher level for you. You've clearly recognized the problem. You know that... I'm I'm assuming that you've realized that for you to develop as a leader in this new role, you've got to do something. Just then walk me forward from there. How do you you start to get your head around this? Yeah, I think the first thing you need to do is have a sense of why you're doing what you're doing. Today, 20 years later, the concept of purpose and the concept of why is talked about really in business, but it kind of wasn't so much 20 years ago, I think, especially at an individual level. And so I developed much more of a sense of why I was doing what I was doing. For me, my purpose when I articulate was all about making a difference to others as well as enjoying what I was doing myself. So whatever work I was doing and whatever I was doing privately, if I started to engage in sort of not-for-profit stuff and so forth, making a difference was very, very important. And I liked doing that in a profitable way. So I kind of took that then into my work and started saying, okay, so this is the role, this marketing management role I'm now in how can I really make a difference to the key customers we're working with? Because that was kind of the area I was focused on. I was very much focused on marketing to the key accounts in that particular sector because they accounted for 80% of the profitability and revenue. And then from that, start saying, okay, so what are the big projects we need to be working on, agreeing that with the boss? And then from that, starting to go around more into the the micro. So if you come at it from the, the top level, then I think the to-do list naturally drops out of it and hopefully you've only got one or maybe two Mm. rather than, as you say, the hundreds we can come up with. If I understand this correctly, what you're saying is start with where you want to end up and then work your way back as to what do I need to do to get to those bits working backwards and then you end up with your to-do list or another mechanism, some sort of tactical approach. The activities or projects or that you want to focus on. And yeah, it's the old start with the end in mind. Otherwise, it's very easy to just be in busyness mode and work pretty hard all day and yet feel at the end, well, I never actually achieved anything towards the key things I want to be working on. So was this a process of trial and error or did you just have this light bulb moment and you suddenly think, ah, I know, I've got to do this? Or did you try various other techniques first where 
you sort of went down a cul-de-sac, time cul-de-sac and came back? Yeah, I recalled some time management training I'd had in the 80s and hadn't been able to use it very successfully. And I tried it again and realized that for whatever reason it didn't work for me. And that was because it was too task-focused. It was too much a to-do list focused as opposed to thinking about the bigger picture. So the opportunity when you're working with an executive coach, if they're any good, they will help you to establish your why, not just for yourself, but also the business you're working in, your great sense of purpose about doing something. And once you start at that level, to me, that's really important. If I don't have that to work back from, it doesn't connect. So yes, Matthew, to answer your question, there was a couple of stumbles along the way. But once I got that sense of I've got to work down from the bigger picture, it made a lot more sense. Just to use the rationale of, well, that's all very well, but I'm too busy even to spend time thinking of this. That's actually, the problem with that is, well, what happens if you don't think of this? You're just going to be in this perpetual vicious cycle of not having enough time, chasing your tail. Exactly. And one of the things that Peter taught me, and he was a great advocate of doing this on train journeys or hotel foyers or finding places that were away from the operational day-to-day, was the idea of sort of white thinking time, just actually having a slot in your diary for two or three hours every fortnight or something like that, where you pull yourself away from the day-to-day to think about big stuff, one project or two projects or a presentation you want to write or just actually pull yourself away for that. And that really helped me as well. And I found that I needed to do that early in the morning. And that was my best time for doing that sort of thing. And I think another realization most people need to get to if they want to start to be more conscious is how they operate through different times of the day. Many of us are at our best for thinking in the morning. Others are much better at thinking in the evenings after they put the kids to bed or had dinner or whatever it happens to be. If you have some understanding of when you work at your best that really helps you as well in terms of managing your time and working on the stuff that cannot so often be jettisoned or put to one side for the sake of the urgent day-to-day stuff. I think that's really helpful. And I have to say, you know, the amount of time I spend on the London Underground, but I know a lot of people throughout the country are driving or people on planes and whatever, the time where you have time on your own. Do you notate these ideas? Is it just the fact of thinking it through? How formalized do you have to be about working out how it's going to help you? A lot of people I talk to will say they have great ideas when they're in the shower, not all in the yeah. same shower, I might add, but you know, when know we're in the mean, shower, yeah. we have the great ideas. Five minutes later, I'm like a goldfish, I've forgotten. So do we need to be logging this stuff down? I think if you are like a goldfish, you probably do. And then, of course, the, the old thing is, you know, do you have a quick pad in the bathroom and you nip out and write it down and get back in the shower? I do think these days, is, you know, you can record things, you can send yourself an email or a text message. There's lots of different ways of logging an idea. Uh, unless you have some wonderful memory that's going to retain it, most of us need to find some way of putting it down. And I'm glad you mentioned the shower, actually, Matthew, because <laughs> a lot of us will get great ideas that sort of half an hour or so after we wake up. And that's actually to do with the way we sleep and the way we think overnight and the fact that our brains percolate a bit and are still processing overnight stuff, if you like, when we first wake up. Because apparently our prefrontal cortex is sort of underneath my, in my case, my slightly bald head, so rather large forehead. Mm -hmm. That is a bit like an old car engine. So it takes a while to warm up. So the best way to let that happen is to be just allowing things to percolate from overnight 
and be still solving problems and coming up with ideas before you start filling it with new emails and new stuff. Uh, That's why it's nice to have a sort of break between waking up and actually starting to work. That's a fascinating insight, actually, because clearly you're alluding to here is that the brain is constantly working, even though you're asleep. And I know your book actually touches on this. And whilst we're talking about time management, this would be a great segue into your book, just very briefly, where we deal with the powers of sleep and why it's so important and why it's so important to understanding rhythms and how your body works, especially in light of how it then affects ultimately your time management skills, I suspect. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I think that someone put it to me quite well recently where they talked about sleep, hydration, exercise and diet as four key things to help you control yourself and actually deliver at the optimum. And sleep is pretty much the foundation of that. And of course, if you're not well rested, then you're not going to be in a good place to cope with the kind of unknown unknowns we're referring to that come in. And you'll be completely exhausted when you've coped with them. And when you get back to any moments, you might have to work on the stuff you were planning to do during that day. It's highly likely you'll just say, well, forget it. I'll I'll look at it tomorrow. And then another day has gone by and you haven't managed to make any progress in that particular project to all those key things that you're working on. So we're saying as part of the whole time management piece, sleep management is absolutely crucial to getting getting this done i mean the best tip i give to people i like to think the best tip or the one that i get a lot of good feedback about is just block eight hours a day for nothing but sleep that doesn't mean to say you're going to sleep for eight hours but it means you haven't scheduled a phone call at 6 a.m or 11 p.m or whatever you've actually said 10 till 6 or 11 till 7 or whatever is right for you I'm not scheduling anything in that time. I mean, I just want to flip right back to one of the comments right at the start. Do you, when you're talking to people, do you get people that say, yeah, but I just can't do that, Charles, because of the family life or young families or all this other stuff that's going on? Is, is that something yeah, that you get feedback on? you do. On? And what I think, would you respond? I think in those situations, you just have to ask good questions and explore and unravel what's really going on. And often people will find that they have got some options around when they could carve out a bit more certainty about their sleep or alternate who's going to do the night feed or all those kinds of things. So when people actually think it through, there are options and there are things that they can put in place. It doesn't work seven days a week because especially when you're dealing with young families, things pop up. And most people talk about times when kids get sick or their other half gets sick as the times when routine goes out of the window and it's most challenging and stressful. But for most people, most of the time, there are ways that they can actually get more conscious about it and actually address things. You get some people who feel that's always going to be a problem, but I would say 80% of people can probably make some improvements. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you get on top of this, you understand the problem in the 90s, you begin to get on top of it with the help of Peter and and what's going on. The benefits. Just explain to me what the feeling is like once you believe that you start to have this under control. Well, I mean, the first thing is you're a lot less stressed. If you're less stressed, then you're more likely to feel you've got a little bit more time and enjoy the process more, be more in the moment, enjoy your colleagues more, enjoying, you know, catching up with people and actually feeling you've got some time without wasting it, but you have got some time to engage in proper conversations with people. And I think then as a result, you're more effective because you're more aware of others around you as well, especially as you move into a leadership role. 
you're much more able to take on board other people's opinions, you're more there for them. You know, so often when we read research about what makes a good leader, or a good boss, it's someone who's actually there to listen, support, co-create solutions to challenges and is seen as being truthful and straightforward. Mm. And to deliver on all those things, you need to be in a reasonably good place to do so with much lower stress levels. And it even goes as far, Matthew, as things like non-verbal cues when you look at someone in the face. When you're stressed or when you're short of sleep and things like that, you just don't pick them up. But when you're much more in the moment and much better place, you will observe that, oh, so-and-so is not quite, yeah. you know, on form today and things like that. And if you can just have the right conversation with someone at that point, it can make a massive difference in terms of their productivity and the team's productivity. That's fantastic. Just to sum up, really, we're talking about start off with the end in mind. What do you really want to achieve? Have a vision of where you want to be and how you want this to work. You're talking about time management as well as sleep management, making sure that we we get that eight hours, if possible, in. Well, certainly a good non-diarized eight-hour block yeah. of sleep. I love the piece around your brain still whirring away while you're asleep and it's resetting and recharging the body so that by the time you get up in the morning, you're going through your morning routine. That's still going on. I think a sort of health and safety note here is please put down a bathroom mat if you're going to be dashing out and writing <laughs> things down. That's a fair I point. I would hate Vistage to be responsible for a rise in bath-related accidents. And to write that down. And then that gives a sense of control, not worry. You're becoming more aware, better decision-making, more aware of other people, more time for listening. That's the big thing. I love that fact that you've got time to listen and pick up on what other people yeah. are doing. Fascinating stuff. I think in terms of good time management, I think we're probably there. Giles, thank you so much for your time today. Just to mention, we've referred to it a couple of times. Charles has got an excellent book out called Positive Sleep. You'll find it through all good book resellers outlets. I genuinely, genuinely would suggest you have a look and buy it. Lots of great stuff. And it's mixed in with real life situations that Charles has gone through and how he's formed strategies and tactics to deal with all this issue around sleep. As always, we invite you, our listeners, to share these podcasts with your peers and with your families. This podcast production has been brought to you by Vistage, the world's leading business performance and leadership advancement organization. And please do tweet us at Vistage UK with your questions and feedback and visit vistage.co.uk for more information. Until next time, my name's Matthew Griffiths and thank you for listening. Thank you.